Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And we're here to talk about a subject of apologetics. This is where is your worldview and where do you stand when we weigh it out with truth? We will look for contradictions as we look at truth. And in that, we will look at history, science, archaeology, and prophecy, and um, the reality we live in. And does it make sense? Today, Our topic is going to be about slavery in the Bible. What did it look like? Did God condone slavery? And when we look at the Antebellum South and the transatlantic slavery, what does it look like back then around 1500 BC? And what did it look like at the 17th and 18th hundred uh, century as you remember it to be? And so we will begin to talk about slavery bond servants, servants, our mind goes horrifically back in our imagination to pictures of imagery that we have seen about Antebellum South and treating people as subhuman with no dignity. I had to push those uh, imageries away. I had to push them aside and look at a very primitive way of living when I began to read the Bible. For instance, when war between two people or two nations ended, the devastation alone left an airy feeling. Children without parents, wives were widows with no protection, babies ripped from their moms and ripped from the bellies, noses, ears, hands, and feet cut off. This was a a usual practice as they fought for territory Back in 1500 B.C. Now, around 1500 B.C., when Israel came out of slavery, remember, they knew what it felt like to be 400 years in the hands of the Egyptians in slavery. They had housing, food, mothers taking care of the young, while the men and the young men worked as slaves all day. And even though there were times of the cruelest punishments under the Pharaoh of Egypt, when Moses took them out into the desert plains and times began to get difficult as they were free men, it's Exodus 16.3 that the sons of Israel, they cried out, would that we have died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, When we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out here in the wilderness to die. 
So what makes a man choose to take bread as a slave rather than a free man who died for freedom? Today, over 40 million slaves exist around the world in the 21st century. And that's besides trafficking and forced prostitution. And when we want to, when we look at the comparison of the Bible and over the slavery that was going on of America and around the world, slavery and indentured servitude. Now, slavery is usually recognized as race-based chattel slaves, property with no rights, even subhuman. Indentured servitude, you have the word indentured, and indentured means a deed, a written contract, a sealed agreement. You know, most of our stars, our football, basketball, baseball stars, they have an indentured agreement. And then there's servitude, indentured servitude. Servitude means a state of subjection to an owner for debt or for forced labor and sometimes imposed as punishment. Now, slavery and indentured servitude have been around ever since we learned to make spears and fire. Looking back 4,000, 5,000 years of history, we find economics for land, property, labor, and bartering. Whether it was nations, cities, tribes, villages, and families, they found themselves in a season, and I want you to think about this. I had to put myself back in that atmosphere in that time. There were seasons where there were famine for one, two, three, four years. Drought and cold storms outlasted the crop seasonal harvests. At times for years without crops and food rations were at a minimal to sustain life. Families could not feed their own children. Starving neighbors could not ask for food from their friends because there was no food to give. There was no way out. Life did not care if you worked hard or took care of the family. The only choice you had was to barter for goods. And when that broke down, you had to work for food. But it turns out it wasn't that easy. Working for someone was a contract, an agreement. You became the property of another person. So let's say there was a, not enough work to go around during a famine. And the only option you had was to die or sell your daughters and your sons. Some chose cannibalism just to survive. This was the reality. The only revenue you have was your assets. This was your land or property. So you borrowed. Your collateral was your property or your house. And if you couldn't repay the money your property would be seized. Where would you and your family live? No relatives, a foreigner, and the only assets you have now is your children and you. This is where legally binding contracts came into play. There were no governments giving free money. The wealthy would give you lodging, food, but your family would be contracted as volunteered, indentured servitude. A contract to be a man's property, sometimes for years and sometimes for a lifetime. When we look back, it's hard to imagine a world with indigenous people and tribes who would take their own native tribesmen as war prisoners, pillaging the land, women, and children. 
The ravaging of land and war between neighbors brought prisoners of war that was soon turned to bartering for goods and services. A primitive world that was occupied by men, women, and children, slaves, or endangered service just to stay alive. And of course, let's not forget, through this type of living, you had the bad guys, the worst of the worst, who would take advantage for gain. The question is, in this Bronze Age of 1500 B.C., if all types of slavery and prisoners of war never existed, what would society look like? Just kill anyone who couldn't survive. Anyone who fell into a mess, just kill them. All prisoners of war, just murder them. I myself don't think a society of that era could handle life in any other way. It took time and some unfor- and unforeseeable moments in history to change this tide, and still with 40 million slaves around the world today and many starving countries, there are sometimes man-made and at other times just difficult moments in history. Here in the Bible is one of those unforeseeable moments. When we talk about the Bible and slavery that was practiced by the pagans, They were different types of slaves of servants on the earth. You had domestic slaves, servants of maids that usually took part of the house, working primarily in the house, sometimes farming products, at times earned profits from labor, able to marry and have children. Then you had pawnship slaves, which was really an indentured servitude, debt bondage. Funds were acquired to promote trade, to cover the expense of food, funerals, weddings, and religious obligation. And if these payments were not paid back, you would find yourself in an indentured servitude contract. You had military slaves, prisoners of war, and then you had criminal slavery, those who could not pay for the crime they committed. You had sacrifice slaves. This was usually young women, more often young children or babies who didn't have a voice or a choice and was sacrificed in the fire. And then there was chattel slavery, property slaves, the antebellum South type that were kidnapped, stolen men. The owner is free to sell or to treat the slave as he would as other pieces of property, even at times subhuman. So the question always comes out from the atheist, the skeptic. Why didn't God just say no slaves? The question is asked, why didn't God just say no slaves? Considering what we just talked about, it's a foolish question. The whole world practiced slavery of some sort. In the Bible, after 400 years enslaved, Moses would pronounce the Ten Commandments and the civil law For the nation of Israel to help those that needed support. That God would even tell the crop growers to leave corners so people in need can glean from the fields. Even today in our lives, when friends, families try to respond to the needs of their relatives or friends, but the need sometimes outweighs what they have to give. 
Before we get started in the Mosaic Law, I do want you to understand when God said, every person is made in the image of God. And this is Joe. I hope to see you in the second part as we talk about slavery in the Old Testament and did God condone it. We'll see you on the next part. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout his ministry, 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Join Creation Fellowship Santee's Apologetics Speaker Series, Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. via Zoom. 1 Peter verse 3, chapter 15 says, To always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Creation Fellowship Santee's brand name apologetic speakers will do just that. Equip you with the knowledge and tactics to explain your Christian faith. Get equipped Thursday nights at 6.30. Learn more on Facebook and YouTube at Creation Fellowship Santee or email creationfellowshipsantee at gmail.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona on K-Praise. How you doing today? And this is the second part of Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And we're talking about what did slavery look like in the Old Testament? What did it mean by a slave and a bondservant and a slave? Now, as we talk about the Mosaic Law, or before we get to that, I do want you to understand when God said every person is made in the image of God with worth, value, and dignity in the first chapter of Genesis, it could not be stated any stronger. Moreover, Jesus said in the New Testament, the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor. Remember, we're answering the question, why didn't God just say no slaves? Even today in the 21st century, the phrase inalienable rights from God is the forerunner of every decent creed based on the God of the Bible. These rights that you and I have, no man could take away. On the other hand, if the government gave them to you, they could take them away anytime they wanted to. God went on to say about this subject, when we read in verses like Exodus 21:20 in the civil law, if a man strikes his male or female servant or slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. And that word punished, it means vengeance. Vengeance in the Old Testament was eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The meaning is clear. The servant is in equal standing as the landlord, both created in the image of God. And if the servant died in the hands of the landlord, he would receive capital punishment, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. This was something new that God had given to Israel, that life, a human being, had value. God made it clear right in the beginning that kidnapping or man-stealing was a capital offense. 
he who kidnapped the man in Exodus 21:16 whether he sells him or he is found in his possession shall surely be put to death to say god said nothing about chattel slavery is an understatement just by that verse alone any slaves that were stolen or kidnapped was against what god created man for you cannot murder a man. You cannot steal or kidnap a man. That all men had worth and value. And the capital punishment will be established. When we look at the Mosaic Law now, I want you to know that from the very beginning of slavery, it did not originate slavery. The Mosaic Law, it did not originate slavery. Slavery existed. The whole world already engaged in the customs in one form or another. The practice of slavery was put into place by human society, a human construct. Just like divorce was never condoned or approved by God, but it was regulated concessions. The reason I say that, we can see how Jesus regulated divorce without condoning the practice. They asked him, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, in Matthew 19, 3, the Pharisees came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. You see, certain Old Testament laws were to be understood as concessions to the hardness of the human heart rather than the expression of God's holy character. God never condoned slavery. It was a practice by the world. He sets rules in play to work with the conditions of the world. Now, in the Bible, a slave or an indentured servitude was not race-based, first of all because of the color of your skin or some sub-creature. This was a practice in the antebellum South or the transatlantic slavery. Rather, it was helped to, it was helped, it was rather, it was helped or it was put there to help the poor and those who could not pay their debt. There were those whose circumstances led them to find someone who could give them a place to stay, a place to be fed. Maybe it was because of complications. Someone died, a disaster, famine, disease, sickness. For instance, if a group of people or tribes wanted to take possession of a territory of land, they would invade and ransack the village, burn it down to the ground, taking the booty, killing whatever children, men, and taking some as POWs. And that left many women and children alone and a few men in the middle of nowhere. Listen, there were no homeless institutions for destitutes, widows, young women. There were no orphan homes or foster cares for children. That if something went back, back in the crops, there were no financial institutions or bankruptcy courts. There were no prisoners. When civil laws could be paid for, when a civil law could not be paid for, the man would have to make a contract with that person or pay for the violation. Prisoners of war. Many slaves were prisoners of war who would have 
otherwise been executed as enemies of the state. You could win a war and let the soldiers, the prisoners, go back home only to have them retaliate against you once again. You see, the Hebrews would have to assimilate the POW soldiers among the people, among the nation, instead of being like the United States, putting the prisoners in like a Guantanamo Bay type of area. There were times as nations conquered more land and became stronger, they could leave soldiers there and leave citizens there, and the soldiers would watch for any uprising. In the Bible, we find that there was no rape. When we talk about women who were slaves, rape is never condoned in the Bible. Fornication was part of the Ten Commandments, no sex outside of marriage. They would have to marry first or stand before the judge in court. There were fines and scourgings that would take place if you tried these type of things. Listen, if a woman was hurt, the Bible makes reference to a bad eye or a broken tooth, but I don't think it had to do with, with hurting a woman uh, intent, uh, unintentionally. But if you hurt her intentionally, then you would have to set her free. She would just be set free. If she died from the violence, the landlord would be executed. So we need to think about these things. When we talk about the Hebrew servant, and this is just the Hebrews, wherever he became a servant or indentured servitude, it tells us in Exodus 21.2, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free, paying nothing. You see, the Israelites, the Jews who gave themselves as a servant or indentured servitude, he usually became a servant because of extreme poverty, credit, or debt theft, or criminal offenses, yet anyone who was a Jew would be set free on the seventh year or on Jubilee. Every 50 years, they would have a celebration and all Jewish slaves would be set free. Every Jew would either be set free or volunteer to stay with the landlord. The Bible calls that bondservant or some, um, the Bible calls that a bondservant if he wanted to stay with the landlord, the master. Or some would eventually marry into the family. I want to talk about a hard question here. It's in Leviticus 25. It says, now we come to a question that you have to think about. And it says in Leviticus 25, 44, as for you, as for your male and female slaves whom you may have, you may acquire male and female slaves from the pagan nations that are around you, and you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit as a possession, and they shall be your permanent slave. Here the verse says you may buy slaves from the nations around you, and they shall be your permanent slaves. This is one of the first times we hear something like this. You see, the slave you acquire must have not been stolen or kidnapped, first of all. That was an offense. That was a capital offense. And more than likely, from the text, they were indentured servitude slaves or servants from another nation who was already serving a lifetime contract. They could buy prisoners of war who were enemies of the country. You see, the slave would soon find out that they had more rights than any other pagan country. And this is by far, I want you to know, the most challenging verse about slaves. 
Now, when we talk about slaves, I want you to hear this. The Bible says in Exodus 21, 12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall be surely be put to death. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on the account of the eye. If he knocks his tooth out, he will let him go free. You see, these laws were a deterrent from treating slaves or servants wrongly or abusively. The Bible talks no harsh payments, uh, punishment in Exodus 21.20. If a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall receive punishment. That's capital punishment. If, however, he survives a day or two, no vengeance shall be taken. This is not saying how far you can beat a man before they kill him, like most atheists would say. The law said that if a man was not murdered premeditated, then you could not be charged with capital punishment. What it is saying is the judge would look at the case and determine the facts. Kidnapping and man-stealing, it tells us in Exodus 21.16, he who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him where he is found in possession, shall surely be put to death. There was no kidnapping. There was no man-stealing. I thank you for listening to our topic here, and I hope I answered some of the hard questions. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics, and we'll see you next week. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.